Well, it was a strange phenomenon that was discovered in World War One. Fighter pilots in open cockpit aircraft discovered that low-velocity shrapnel was better defended with something that was soft and luxurious. It was silk. So they would take layers of silk. Scientists couldn't even explain why, but layers of silk seemed to be better at protecting them from the shrapnel fired at them from the ground than steel would be. And so they would take layers of silk and wrap it around their necks and layers of silk and wrap it around their heads underneath those leather helmets that they wore. And so it seems odd, doesn't it, that something so soft would be the better defender against something that is potentially going to harm you. And as we look at our series on becoming more like Jesus, Jesus showed us the same holds true for human character. That some people try to be impenetrable to those around them. But Jesus showed us that gentleness and a heart that is soft toward others and tenderness are actually qualities of strength. In Philippians 4-5, the verse that Daryl read uh, earlier this morning, the word that is translated as gentleness is epiikes, the Greek word epiikes. And some synonyms for that word are fair and reasonable and moderate, in addition to being translated as, as gentleness. Fair, reasonable, and moderate. But in Galatians 5.22, where we derive gentleness as part of Paul's list of fruits of the Spirit, we get a different word. It's preutes. And preutes, its synonyms for gentleness are mildness and humility. Now, one author... Uh, even says that you know, it could be described as mild medication. He says as if something that would, would calm uh, a, a nauseated stomach. And so you think about the opposite of gentleness. Maybe arrogance or pride. And you think about, the author said, you know, there's some people in the world that because of their attitudes, you know, maybe someone that is overly arrogant, prideful, that they kind of turn your stomach a little bit. And so if we're going to be people who bear this fruit of gentleness, it could be said that we are people who are not nauseating. So I could say, hey church, the main takeaway this morning is don't be nauseating to other people. Alright, let's stand and sing. No, not going to let you off that, that easy this morning, sorry. But yeah, the, the idea that, that a gentle person is one that is like, is like medicine. If you think about it in those terms. Those people that you see coming and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I just love them. You know, 
uh, she is always in a good mood. She's always got a smile on her face. Or he has always got something kind to say. At the service here on... uh, on Friday, I, I saw someone that I in the community that I don't get to see very often, and and it, it, I thought later about that person. They've always got a smile on their face. I have never seen that person when they're not smiling. Now, what a testament it is to that person and their attitude, their outlook on life, their demeanor. As my dad used to say back in the day, their disposition. That, you know, that they, every time I see them, morning, noon, or night, that they have got a smile on their face. And so, the idea of gentleness is to be that person who is like that salve that just makes everything a little bit better. Now, as we move forward this morning... uh, James 1 verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because church, that's gentleness right there. Gentleness is the opposite of anger. Gentleness is someone who is mild, is someone who is calm. As someone who takes in the situation. Now, how much more, how much better, let me put it that way, would our world be if we practice James 1, 19 more often and on a regular basis? And yes, I'm, I'm speaking to, my, to myself right now. I'm preaching to myself this morning, church. That if we could be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. What would our interactions with one another look like? What would social media look like if everyone before they posted or before they commented was slow to speak and slow to become angry? What would January 6th that our nation's capital have looked like if everyone was much slower to speak and slower to become angry? I could argue that those three capital police officers would likely not have lost their lives that day if more people were slow to speak and slow to become angry. Gentleness is not being enraged. Gentleness is seeking to understand. Gentleness is practicing a calm demeanor because when one person is calm, it can take someone else who's on edge and it can help de-escalate the situation. Now we think about gentleness. Jesus shows us in John chapter 8 a situation where he was gentle in the face of something. Jesus has been with people and uh, it says at the end of 
John 7 that they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And so we don't know that he stayed there all night. But the next thing we know, it says, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. Now, I have no way of knowing how long Jesus stayed at the Mount of Olives. But we know it's repeatedly mentioned in the Gospels that Jesus went to a solitary place and prayed. And so Jesus, after spending some time in prayer, he goes out in public again. He's in the temple courts. And when you're in the temple courts, teaching as he was, he never knew what people were going to throw at him. You know, I used to say that that the most interesting hour of my week was Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Because that hour of the evening, I don't know, people just have more to say than they do in a Bible class on a Sunday morning. And so that hour of the week, I never knew what some people were going to bring up. I still don't. But I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Sometimes I don't have answers to everyone's questions. I'm human. I don't have all the answers. It's a thick book, as I like to say. But Jesus was the same way. He never knew what people were going to throw at him. And so he is there teaching in the temple courts. All the people gathered around him, verse 2, and he sat down to teach them. The, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, of course, we know that when the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question, they're not seeking to understand, are they, church? No. When the Pharisees are asking Jesus a question, it's for one reason. Entrapment. That is their modus operandi, you might say. That is their agenda. And so they're thinking, okay, how are we going to catch him this time? At some point, we're going to trip this dude up. We don't know where he got his education, but he didn't sit at the feet of our rabbis. And so Jesus, minding his own business, teaching in the temple courts, and they, they here come the Pharisees stirring up trouble. Hey, this woman caught in adultery. And of course, they embarrass her. It says that they, they made her stand before the group. And so... Uh, Now what do you say? Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin.
teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, what he ultimately said was, Hey, those of you that are perfect, sling away. Those of you that have never done anything wrong, because sin is sin. You may not be guilty of this particular sin, but you're guilty of something. And in the eyes of our Father, it's just as bad. So, those of you that are perfect, absolutely perfect, you go ahead and you be the one to throw that first stone. I think it's interesting that John tells us specifically that it is the older ones who left first. That certain amount of inherent wisdom that comes with age. And so them realizing, well, there's no way I can throw this stone. And I can just see them one by one dropping those stones and slowly walking away. Now, at no point does Jesus say, hey, what you've done is okay. Jesus isn't saying, hey, there's no consequences to sin. That's not the point of this at all, is it, church? At no point does he say, hey, no big deal that you were caught in adultery. What he says to her is leave your life of sin. What I read into that is, hey, learn from this. Don't make this mistake anymore. What he's still saying to us today is, what's done is done. But don't live a life where you are steeped in sin. Don't live a life where you're repeating the same sins over and over. Don't live a life where you find yourself in a place where you like certain sins. And so... We know that there's consequences to our sin. Jesus doesn't have to explain to her, hey, when you get home, there's going to be a difficult conversation because you've been outed in public this morning. He doesn't say to her, you know, it's this kind of behavior that tears families apart, that breaks hearts. He doesn't have to. We all know that. We all know there's consequences to sin. But Jesus, church, in His gentleness, doesn't come out and say, Girl, what were you thinking? What, 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 what led you down this path? Didn't your parents teach you any better than that? I mean, you know, haven't you, haven't you heard parts of the Torah read? Don't you know the commandments? He doesn't thou shalt her, does he? No. In his gentleness, he de-escalates the situation and says, 
okay, if you're perfect, you can condemn her. And they don't. And he simply says, I don't condemn you either. But stop doing what you've been doing. Now, this is my dog Arlo. And Arlo does not eat people food, pretty much. I mean, he eats dog food, because he's a dog. But Arlo does like to eat you know, that little last morsel of the people food. And so, the thing about Arlo is, Arlo is not always the most reasonable animal or creature on the planet. Um, Arlo wants to attack the mailman. Of course, there's a door between him and the mailman. But every morning when the mailman brings the mail, and of course it's not just mail because the post office now delivers a lot of packages. And so the the mailman is bringing us good stuff that we've ordered, that my wife has ordered. And Arlo, you would think that somebody is trying to get in the house and harm us. That they're trying to tear the door down by the way this half German shepherd, half who knows what, uh, decides that he is just going to alert the entire house and frankly the entire neighborhood that the mailman is here. He knows the sound of his truck. He knows the sound of his vehicle. He can pull up right in front of the house and Arlo is on the other end of the house and he hears that vehicle and he will go running before he ever has a chance to get out of his vehicle. There is nothing reasonable about Arlo's behavior. And then when you would finish that sandwich or that last bite of something and he would be patiently waiting on you to share that little bit with him, then we learned early on with Arlo, if you have it in your fingers and you, and you hold it out, Arlo had a little problem with depth perception. Okay? You, you might lose a valuable digit before you could draw it back. So we learned you either had to put it in his bowl or... The, the old toss method. Here you go. I'm going to toss that to you. Now Arlo is really good at catching stuff. So, Stacy at some point decided, hey, I can teach this dog something. So she started saying, gentle, gentle. And then she taught Arlo how to be gentle. And so, I mean, it was to the point, it was so bad... That Arlo knew you didn't want to hold something out like that. If you held it out like that, had a momentary lapse of reason and held it out, he would actually pull his head back and look at you with wide eyes like, dude, you do not want to do that. So Stacy then, working with him, saying gentle, gentle, got it to where Arlo now can just ease in and take that little bit of food from your hands. And nobody gets hurt. Nobody has to go to rapid care or anything like that. No stitches, no sutures, no staples, none of that stuff. All because she took the time and worked with this creature, this incredibly unreasonable creature, saying, gentle, gentle. The church family... 
we go back in the book of Genesis, what is God's crowning achievement in creation? The only creatures that he chose to make in his image. The human creature, right? People. We are the crowning achievement of God's creation. We have the ability to reason the way a dog cannot. And if an incredibly unreasonable animal like Arlo can learn learn gentleness, what's our excuse? With our ability to reason and to think, what keeps us from being more gentle? What keeps us from being slow to speak and slow to become angry? Church, if we're going to bear good fruit, we're going to be people that are easy on the stomach. We're going to be people that are not nauseating. We're going to be people who understand and who learn. And yes, the fruit of the Spirit, it's learned. Little, if any, of this is part of our human nature. That's why Paul gives us a list. If you look prior to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Paul gives us another list. He says, this is, you know, left to your own devices, left to the flesh, this is who you are. And it's not good stuff. It's not flattering. But then he says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I left out faithfulness. And then next week, we conclude with self-control. But church, if my dog can learn gentleness, you and I have no excuse, do we? Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's be people who understand the gentleness of our Savior. Let's be people who show the world what gentleness looks like. If you're with us today and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, we offer the invitation not because it's a habit, not because there's something in God's Word that says we have to every time we gather on Sunday mornings. We offer it because there just might be someone here who is ready to make the decision to give their life to Christ and to be immersed in the waters of baptism after confessing that He is Lord, that He is the Son of the one true God. But we also offer the invitation in case there's someone here who needs prayers. If there's someone here who is hurting. If there's someone here who says, I've messed up.
and I just want this church to be praying for me as I try to move on and move past this. That's why we offer the invitation. Let's stand and sing.